So, not too ambitious this morning. We're only going to cover a half of a verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're walking our way through 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 5, and today we're just going to talk about the first half of verse 11. Which says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. This verse begins with a therefore, tying it to what was going on before it. And so let's think about what, where we've been. He's just said that he is eager, Paul has just said he's eager to please the Lord, since one day he's going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and receive on that day what is due for the things he has done. And then he says, therefore, in light of this, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So Paul and his associates work to persuade others of the gospel because of their fear of the Lord. So let's first talk about the fear of the Lord and its role in the communication of the gospel. Usually we think of sharing the gospel as an outworking of love. But love is not the only reason. We try to convince others of the truth of Christ. It's also because of the fear of the Lord. The world talks today as if it's bad to do anything because of fear. Partly because they don't want to believe that anything truly fearsome exists. But the Bible speaks of the Lord as one who is worthy of our fear and the Bible speaks of the fear of the Lord as a healthy and a holy thing the fear of the Lord motivates Paul to persuade people about Christ he just talked about how all men will appear before Christ on the last day and answer for what they've done and now he is determined not to fail in his duty to communicate the gospel to others. In a few minutes I will tell you a story which helps this make more sense. But first let's talk about the next thing about persuasion. Therefore knowing the fear of the Lord we persuade others. Persuasion is a big part of Christian ministry in the New Testament. We find Paul engaged in attempts to persuade often in Acts 18.4. It says he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. In Acts 19.8, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And when he met with, with King Agrippa and spoke to Agrippa, Agrippa finally said to Paul, 
in a short time, would you persuade me to be a, would you persuade me to be a Christian? The reason for this is that the Christian faith is based on good reason. The gospel makes sense. It's rational. It's logical. There's a great desire on the part of many to make it look ridiculous, laughable, and absurd. And so many of the best intellects on earth work to come up with the best arguments against Christianity. And if enough of them conclude that it is preposterous, then everybody else starts feeling like it's safe to think of it as preposterous. But when we communicate the gospel to others, we are appealing to their reason, not just to their hearts. This is because God, who knows our minds, because he created them, he knows them better than we know them, he made us able to think and able to communicate. Take a little drink here. This is not the way many people think about faith. Many people think that even though all the evidence is against it, we still believe it by faith. No, all the evidence is for it. So even though we can't see it, we believe it because of the evidence. How can two people look at the same evidence and come to such opposing conclusions. People, you know, we're all looking at the same evidence and some people come to the conclusion it's preposterous and others come to the conclusion it's, it's not only reasonable, it's solid and, and unmistakable. Well, this evening at 6.30, the Super Bowl is being played. And on that field, in between all the players with all the padding and the, and the uniforms on, there will be seven people wearing zebra stripes running up and down the field among the other play, with the, among the players from both teams. Why are those seven men there? Because we all know that human nature is such that you cannot trust the judgment of someone who has a vested interest in the decision. The players can't be trusted to decide whether or not they were fouled. The coaches can't be trusted to decide whether or not their team jumped off sides. The fans of one team cannot be trusted to make a judgment about whether one player targeted another. That's why the league hires people who supposedly don't care about who wins just to make these judgments. 
This explains why people, many of them extremely smart, can't be trusted to judge whether the claims of Christianity are true or not. And therefore, we know how ineffective persuasion is. We know ignorance is not ultimately what keeps people from the truth. We know that it's not because they haven't heard it presented in just the right way. We know that human nature is such that people are closed to God. And presentation of the truth in a loving and convincing fashion will not make them open to God. So what is the use of presenting the gospel? What is the use of gospel persuasion? We believe that God opens the hearts of some when they hear the truth of Christ. We know that the hardest of human hearts is no match for the power of God at work through the good news of Christ. It's not our job, of course, to figure out who will be persuaded by the gospel and who will reject the gospel. It's simply our job to present the gospel as lovingly and persuasively as we're able to anyone who is willing to listen and then to pray for God's life-giving power to work in their hearts. Notice a couple things in this verse. When it says... Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. It doesn't say, therefore, we inform others. It says we persuade others, not we inform others. Now, it's, in other words, we're not called to just try to inform people. We're called to try to persuade people. There's, you have some flesh in the game. You have a, a concern you have love. You have a zeal for the gospel and the other person to come to salvation. Notice also that it doesn't say, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. Now obviously we do try to persuade others, but Paul says we persuade others. And I think this reflects his confidence that as he goes about his ministry of attempting to persuade others, some people are actually going to be persuaded. And he's seen this in his life. He's seen this as he speaks in the name of Christ and, and recognizes that Christ is speaking through him to others, that God is going to bring forth fruit from his ministry. And I think this is what we're called to do as well. Not just to try, but to confidently know that God is with us in our ministry. Not that everyone will be persuaded. Of course not. Even Jesus didn't persuade everyone. But he persuaded some. And Paul persuaded some. And as we go forth in the confidence of Christ... God will use us to persuade some. Also, when Paul talks about persuading others, 
you can see that he is um, this this zeal he has for them, and it's not it's not just because of their need, but also because of the great sufficiency of the gospel. He is trying to persuade them of. It is a wonderful bit of good news. It is, it is a transforming, life-giving body of truth that he is communicating. He knows that this is a treasure that he is passing along. And that's why he's zealous to persuade. Now, where are we? Sorry. Oh, I flipped the page for some reason. <coughs> okay. Notice in this passage also that uh, Paul is compelled by love. Now, I know that uh, he doesn't talk about this right here in this verse, although it may be implied in this notion of persuasion. But three verses later, in verse 14, he specifically says that in his ministry, he's compelled by the love of Christ. In that verse, if you, does that sound familiar? You know, I'm compelled by the love of Christ. That's verse 14, just a few verses later. But attempts to persuade are considered today insensitive by many. Many argue that to try to persuade people of the Christian faith is intolerant and narrow-minded. Why then all this persuasion? Why all this trying to change people? It's because of what? It's not because we think we're better than everybody and we want everyone else to be like us. It's not because we're so convinced that we're right and we want everyone else to acknowledge that we're right. It's not because we're trying to get everyone to follow after God's holy law. It's because the gospel of Christ is man's only hope. It's because it's the only answer to man's greatest problem. What is man's greatest problem? Death. Who else offers hope for man's greatest problem? You know, what is the atheist answer? They don't have one. They just claim that there is no answer. The message of atheism is stop fooling yourself. There is no hope. There is no answer. The reason people think it's bad to try to convince other people of the Christian gospel is because they don't believe it's true. And I understand this. Once I felt absolutely certain that no God existed. Now, of course, I feel absolutely certain that God does exist. If people believed that the gospel of Christ was the message of life, they'd think very differently. I don't hear them criticizing people for trying to convince us that Christianity isn't true. As Christians, we are absolutely committed to respect 
and to love. We believe in religious freedom. We repudiate violence and coercion as methods of winning converts. But we believe that for us to be silent would be disobedient to God and unloving to man. That doesn't mean we don't give everyone the right to believe whatever they want. But it means that if we have an opportunity, we're going to try to persuade people of the truth of Christ. It doesn't mean we're going to hound them and pursue them when they've made it clear that they don't want to hear. But it does mean we're going to try to convince when we have an opportunity. We don't believe the gospel of God's grace in Christ is just a help through life. You see, we believe it's the only means by which people can obtain eternal salvation. So for us to keep ourselves, to keep it to ourselves, would be unloving. And the Bible obligates us to love all people. Romans 13, 8 to 10. So far I've made two points. Number one, that the fear of the Lord moves Christians to persuade others about Christ. And number two, that the love of the Lord moves Christians to persuade others about Christ. The fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord. Both of these points are well illustrated in an Old Testament story of the four lepers outside the city of Samaria. It's not a very well-known story, so I'm going to tell you the story for those of you who aren't familiar with it. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel when Israel was divided into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. So Samaria was the capital city, and they were in a war with Syria. Syria was, a, was attacking them. And Samaria was a fortified city. That is, it had a big strong wall around it to repel any who attacked. And in that day, the best way that they had to attack a fortified city was siege warfare. Siege warfare is when you basically just surrounded the city didn't let anybody in or out, and just waited for the people inside to starve to death. And so this is what was happening. The Syrians surrounded the city of Samaria, and they didn't let any food come in, didn't let anyone go out. And pretty soon the people inside were starving to death. So much so that cannibalism was being practiced inside the city walls. That unthinkable practice that at times when people get so desperate that they resort to even this. Now there were four men who were lepers. They had leprosy and they, they uh, were sitting at the entrance of the gate, the city gate. And they were starving because of course they had no food either. They relied on begging but since nobody else had food, there was nothing to give to the lepers. 
And so they're out there on the, at the gate and they're talking to one another and they, they start saying, you know something? Why are we sitting here like this until we die? This doesn't make any sense. If we stay here, we're just going to die of starvation. If we go into the city, there's no food there. We'll die of starvation there. Let's go over to the Syrian camp. Take a risk. If they have mercy on us and they feed us, then at least we'll live. And if they don't, they kill us, we're going to die anyway. So what difference does it make? And so they do. They go out to the Syrian camp. They have nothing to lose. And when they get to the Syrian camp, they're amazed what they find. There's no one there. There's no one there. The Lord had created the sound of a great army, and all the Syrians had heard it and thought that a great army was attacking them, and had fled. And they left everything as it was. They left all their supplies, they left all their food, they left all their stuff behind. So these four lepers, they just dive in. They stuff themselves, they start filling their pockets with things, they hide stuff that they can come and get later. They take all the treasures that they can, but after a while they stop. And they say to each other, you know, this isn't right. This day is a day of good news. If we don't go back and tell the people of the city, God will punish us. So they go back to the city and they tell the others so that all the people could come and feast. However, it wasn't easy to persuade the people inside the city that this was real. They thought it was a trick. They thought it was too good to be true. But eventually, they got everybody to come out and all the people finally had something to eat. This scene of the four lepers feasting in the Syrian camp is a wonderful picture of God's people. We are lepers who have found more than we could have ever dreamed of or hoped for. It hasn't come as a result of our cleverness or our righteousness or our zeal. We just stumbled upon it. The feast and the treasure we have found, of course, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. But many are left still starving in sin. It's not the job of us lepers. I'm sorry, is it not the job of us lepers to share the news with everyone else? How can we not tell them? God's gifts are not just designed to be received and appreciated, but also to be passed on to others. The gospel of Christ imposes a certain obligation upon a person who receives it to spread it to those who are in need without it. God calls his people not only to be the objects of his grace, but to be the channels of his grace. The rich must help the poor, the strong must help the weak. 
Those who have hope must help those who are without hope. Good news is made for sharing. These four lepers realized this. And they said, this is a day of good news. It is not right for us to keep silent. You know that this, uh, the Old Testament obviously is written in Hebrew, but when it was translated into Greek in the Septuagint, hundreds of years before Christ, the word for good news is the word for gospel, the word for good news that we have euangelios, where, from which we get evangelism. Good news. This is a day of good news. It is not right for us to keep silent. So we live in a day of good news. And it's not right for us to keep silent either. The sin of silence flies in the face of what Jesus is all about. God so loved the world, though it was rebellious and corrupt, that he sent his only begotten Son. He gave, he extended himself And if we are silent, we are even more guilty than if the four lepers had been silent. For two reasons. Number one, because the treasure we have found is far greater than the treasure they found. And also because those outside of Christ are in far greater need than the people inside the city of Samaria who merely hungered for earthly food. Every person here has someone in their lives who will listen to them. Each person has someone who respects them, someone who's open to them, someone who appreciates them, someone who has a high regard for them, such that they will listen to things that we say to them. Each one of us through our our week, through our month, through our year, we have doors open to us to speak to other people. Some people along the way will hate us for telling them about Christ. That doesn't matter. This is a day of good news. It is not right for us to keep silent. This story also helps us to understand How the fear of the Lord drives us to share the good news. The four lepers knew God would be displeased with them if they just kept the treasure to themselves. And it's the same if we, once we receive the gospel, once we receive the treasure of Christ, if we just keep it for ourselves. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. And now we come to the table of the Lord where we celebrate what he did for us as sinners. That he gave himself. That he bore the weight of our sin. That he willingly suffered in our place. That he might be that he might show the justice of God and yet also the mercy and grace of God. Let us pray. 
Lord Jesus Christ, we come humbly before this sacrament that you instituted. We thank you for it. We thank you for its effect in reminding us of what you have done. We know, O Lord, that even this will be of no effect to any except those who are by your spirit humbled and given eyes to see what a precious treasure and a feast there is here before us. And so, Lord, we do pray that by your spirit you would move in us. Oh, Lord, we're hard, proud, difficult people. And we need, oh, Father, for your spirit to transform us, to give us eyes to see what wretched sinners we are and how much we need you, and to humble ourselves and cry out to you for your mercy. Indeed, O Lord, we are lepers, unworthy of your attention, and yet you have taken pity upon us, and you have extended your hand of healing. So now, Lord, help us to come before you with this spirit of humility, and help us to enjoy the fellowship and forgiveness and food, true food of Christ as we partake. We pray in his name. Amen.